and welcome to the Hearsay Sidebar, a podcast where the Hearsay team gets together around the microphone to talk about the legal side of what's in the news. The Hearsay Sidebar is a podcast by Lext Australia, a legal innovation company that makes the law easier to access and easier to practice. Hello listeners, the episode of Sidebar that you're about to hear is a snippet from a much longer interview on our CPD podcast, Hearsay the Legal Podcast, which can be found at htlp.com.au. If you're interested in hearing the full interview, head over to our website and sign up for a subscription. Now, we're talking about bullying, discrimination and harassment today. This is an issue not just for our clients, but it's an issue for us as well. Of course, we know that bullying, discrimination and harassment occurs in law firms and lawyers have a positive ethical duty. In New South Wales, it's Rule 42 of the Solicitor's Rules not to engage in this sort of conduct. For our listeners who have maybe thought about this sort of topic as a bit of a compliance tick box exercise in the past, why is it really important that we take this sort of conduct in our own businesses seriously? Well, yeah, I would caution against just looking at it as a compliance issue because ultimately it goes to the culture of the firms that we all work in as well as the organisations of the clients that we support. And nobody wants to come to work in an environment where that type of inappropriate behaviour is there, particularly if it's not managed and issues are not addressed. So culture in the workplace has been talked about so much over the last few years. We've now got different issues emerging out of the back of COVID in terms of workplace environments, hybrid workplaces. So we're still seeing it. Inappropriate conduct is still there, but we are seeing it morphing in slightly different ways. For example, during COVID, when everybody was at home working remotely, you might have thought that instances and complaints of bullying may have decreased. But we just saw it in a slightly different way, I think. We saw complaints of bullying over Teams and Zoom calls, maybe bullying that wasn't, that didn't have witnesses to it because you weren't in the office with Mm. people overhearing things and seeing things. So the issues didn't go away. There was still, unfortunately, opportunity for employees to be bullied and harassed, albeit through technology perhaps more than before. Yeah, I was going to ask, have you seen the profile of these sorts of cases and the sort of conduct that's coming across your desk change as we've moved to that remote and then balancing out at that hybrid sort of mode of working? Yeah, it's become more nuanced in a way. Although one of the, from my perspective, helpful things has been that quite often those Zoom calls or Teams calls are recorded. And when there's instant messaging, that's obviously recorded. And you can go back and look at that and read it, hear it. It's been an interesting take on how technology has actually assisted employment lawyers do their job. During that period, there is no doubt that both managers and team members were under a lot of pressure. And whether that led to performance concerns, which the employee then misunderstood to be bullying, or whether it was actually bullying and it was going on behind the scenes more. Yeah, it's changed the way that claims are framed. You still see, obviously, your more traditional forms of bullying and Mm. harassment in the workplace. But I'd like to think most organisations, including law firms, have moved on quite considerably in the last, say, 10 years. We were just talking about policies, or I mentioned at the top of the episode, the importance of having policies so people know how to respond to this sort of conduct. Are you finding that some of those policies that might have been in place before the pandemic aren't exactly fit for purpose now because they don't really address the current working environment? A little bit. I think what's important is to have flexible working policies, not just that go to the process and applying for flexible working, but really working from home policies that deal with not just the physical safety aspects from a work health and safety perspective, 
but also the potential risk of psychological injury occurring. We've seen a lot in the press and legislation being introduced in New South Wales and it's coming in Victoria around psychosocial hazards and employers having to, in that context, look at their risk assessments, look at their processes and procedures, including their policies, to ensure that, insofar as reasonably practical, they're taking steps to reduce those risks. Mm. So this all plays into that because in the virtual world or the hybrid world, you do have to cast a slightly different lens on your policies and procedures. So even if you're not actually looking to amend your appropriate workplace behaviour policy or your bullying, harassment and discrimination policy, I still do think you need, if you don't already have one, a hybrid work policy or a working from home policy that deals with some of these issues and reminds employees and reminds managers that the standards of conduct expected in the workplace are just the same as when mm. you're working, whether that's from your house, your holiday house, from your overseas trip, where you're being allowed to work from, the same rules apply. That sounds obvious in theory, doesn't it? But we've of course, seen not just in this realm, but in plenty of others, those standards do slip if you don't have that reminder. I'm thinking of those viral videos we might have seen a couple of years ago of lawyers appearing in court by the pool in T-shirts and swimmers and things like that. Now, let's talk about the New South Wales legislation and the Victorian legislation that's coming. How does that expand on the kind of existing work health and safety frameworks that are in place before that act? Yeah, well, I suppose arguably the work health and safety legislation was geared at preventing physical injuries in the workplace. We know that the provisions of the acts are not limited to physical injuries, but there's definitely been a big shift in the last few years towards recognising the risk to psychological health and safety. And so those changes really focus on, as I say, psychosocial risks that really mean employers are going to have to take a slightly different approach to work health and safety risk management and risk assessment and build in controls and a framework of dealing with. We're seeing a lot of people complain that they're overworked Mm. or under-resourced because lots of companies lay off employees during covid It's been hard, as we know, to attract and retain talent in Australia. So a lot of employees are complaining about being overworked. And that could be a form of bullying. It's a psychosocial risk, if not bullying in itself. So employers have to look at that and say, is the job mapping being done correctly? Do we have enough resource, even up to the board, are enough resources being given to HR and legal to be able to focus on issues like these psychosocial risks and bullying, harassment and discrimination. We've now obviously just had very recently the Secure Jobs Fair Pay legislation coming into force, which amends the Fair Work Act, which Mm. strengthens the sexual harassment provisions in the Fair Work Act. And we have the Respect at Work Bill pending royal assent. So imminently, employers and in fact PCBUs, which is the terminology from the work health and safety legislation, which is persons conducting a business or undertaking, are going to have a positive duty to take reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate sex discrimination, which includes sexual harassment, insofar as possible. So again, very much an emphasis being placed on the prevention rather than the cure. Now, we're talking about reasonable and proportionate measures for responding to this kind of conduct. What does that mean in the context of the size and scale of an organisation? Is that really what proportionality is directed to? Yeah, absolutely. The explanatory memorandum to the Respect at Work Bill talks about what is reasonable and what is a reasonable and proportionate measure. And unsurprisingly, it's quite a familiar legal concept to us that it's going to depend on 
the size of your organization, the resources available to you, which all goes to proportionality at the end of the day. If the Australian Human Rights Commission came along, for example, to investigate, they are going to expect much more of a large law firm with a dedicated and sophisticated HR team, as they will expect from a firm of five lawyers, for example. But regardless of size, you still have policies, you still have training. Being a very small employer is not going to be an excuse for not having that basic framework in place. And in fact, I suppose the smaller an organisation you are, the easier it should be, at least in theory, to understand what's actually going on at ground level for your employees. Mm, there should be fewer blind spots in any response, regardless of the organization's size. Again, there's that proactive and positive character to whatever you're doing to respond to these sorts of risks. Absolutely. Great. Let's go back to that example you gave of the psychosocial risks mm-hmm. as a work health and safety risk, and then I'll come back to the two new pieces of yep. legislation. There's so much happening in this area. Know. That example of understaffing or overwork, I think, is a really evocative one for what this means in terms of the expansion of work health and safety responsibilities, isn't it? Because I think we've always understood bullying, harassment, discrimination as possible work health and safety risks, even under the existing legislation. The an injury need not be a physical injury. Mm. But that idea that the staffing levels of a business might pose that broader concept of a psychosocial risk, I think that's a really clear example of something that you wouldn't have considered covered by the existing legislation before the amendments. Are there any other expansions to the scope of a PCBU's responsibilities from a work health and safety perspective arising from that change that you've seen? Well, I think it's the practical impact. I think clients are struggling to work out what to do on a practical, ground-up basis to Mm. ensure that they're discharging their obligations. You mean in terms of actually identifying and assessing risks? Yeah. Because uh it's one thing to walk the floor, take the Uh really trite factory Uh example, Uh is that handrail functional, all those sorts of things. It's difficult to walk around and spot a psychosocial risk, isn't it? It is. Particularly, one of the real challenges that came out of COVID was you didn't necessarily know when your employees or your team members were working and whether they were working reasonable hours or unreasonable hours Mm. because everybody had to flex so much to accommodate their individual circumstances and having children at home and all those things. But we've heard lots of reports about there being less of a clear boundary between when work stops and your evening starts, for example, because people were having to deal with other things and then log on perhaps late at night to do work. And I think for some people it's been difficult to go back and put perhaps the same boundaries in place that they might have had pre the pandemic. And it's really hard. If you think about a modern award covered employee who may be entitled to think about the legal industry, graduates and paralegals and support services covered by the legal services award, they're entitled to overtime under the award when they work outside a certain span of hours or they work the weekend or if they work a certain number of hours during the week. So all of a sudden you've got a real challenge for an employer in trying to actually monitor. Yeah what hours are being worked and when they're worked and are they running into compliance issues from not just a work health and safety perspective but compliance with the award provisions.
You've been listening to the Hearsay Sidebar. Sidebar is our fun, free podcast about legal news. But if you're an Australian lawyer, you can sign up to the original Hearsay the Legal podcast at htlp.com.au. That's htlp.com.au to get all 10 of your CPD points by listening to entertaining interviews with lawyers, judges and other leading figures in the law on demand, on the go and at an unbeatable price. That was HTLP for Hearsay the Legal podcast. Hearsay Sidebar is produced by Ross Davis with help from Jacob Malby. Make sure you follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you'll be notified whenever we release a new episode. If you like the show, leave us a rating on your preferred podcast platform because it helps other law geeks just like you find us. Thanks for listening.